So uh, I do want to spring a quick question on both of you, because I know you'll both have an answer for me. Best Judas Priest album. Go. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to give you the unpopular answer. And I'm going to say, oh, God, what was it called? The one from like three years ago. The new one. Um, oh, Redeemer was not Redeemer. F- Fire. I think it's called Firepower. Or is that, that, that the that, Oh, That's- that was a bitch in album. <laughs> I, I have not heard anything new from Judas Priest. I was trying to think. I can't remember the names of the albums. Damn it. Uh, Let me just double check. on it. Oh, shit. Um, is it Stained Class? I think so. Stained Class was good. Yeah, that was the one, I think. I don't know, man. I got to go Painkiller. Uh, pain well, really? <laughs> fucking rips, man. You're not. You're not. Yeah. Firepower is the 2018 record. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. You're not going. It's not not British Steel, not one of the older ones. You're going with 1990s Painkiller. Yes. All right. <laughs> that can res- fucking rules. I can respect that. I'm going to be honest. I haven't given that one a shot in a while. So um, uh, now now I'm going to. Well, I, was, I was in a completely different tip when that movie came out or when that <laughs> album came out. So I, I didn't even listen to it. Yeah, dude, it's got Metal Meltdown. It fucking rules. <laughs> metal Meltdown. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I figured that'd be a little little uh, lube for the conversation to get it started. Yeah, there was a... There was a God damn it. Halloween. Oh, Do you God. listen to Halloween? They fucking put out a new record like last year. <laughs> oh, How geez. insane is that? Hell yeah. I can't yeah. believe any of those guys are still alive. Yeah, right. Right. They're still playing shows. They're still it's it's weird. <laughs> They're playing with Jackal. Oh man. <laughs> I'd see that show. Fuck it. I would yeah. too. Yeah, why not? I want to go. There's this um this this uh outdoor metal festival, this like two or three day metal festival happening in Illinois. Oh yeah. This summer called Full Terror Assault that I really want to go to because uh, Axe Slasher is playing and Municipal Waste. And it just looks like a great lineup. I haven't been to a fucking show in so long, man. How about it? Yeah, it's yeah. I I avoid them because they're usually at bars and I know what I'm going to do with that show. So (laughs) yeah, I'll just set that out. (laughs) The last show I saw was Elvis Costello and it was about 15 years ago. Oh, wow. Well, I've been busy dadding. I mean, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah, that'll that'll work. That'll happen. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think the last show I saw was the meat man. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh, man. I, when was that? The meat men are still are they still playing? They're still touring. I don't know. It was a while. It was like at okay. least 10 years ago, probably. But ooh. Wow. <laughs> I saw Jawbreaker uh, in like, Shit. I want to say 2019. Uh I think I saw, yeah, I think I, it was either 2019 or 2018. I saw a jawbreaker and I left halfway through the set because <laughs> they didn't go on till like 11 o'clock at night. And I was fucking tired. I, I'm like, I'm old. My knees can't take it. I have a headache. I don't drink. So there's no reason for me to be up this late. I'm going mm-hmm. home. So I saw a jawbreaker with alkaline trio. Nice. In Elgin, Illinois. The tiniest, this place called the Turner's Club, and I don't know how they draw big names, but like it's just, it's a decent venue, but it's in a shit town, not near anything, yet they always manage to draw actual name bands. And it was they must have they must have had like a good restaurant or like somebody who's like who who puts bands up or something like yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm thinking of the, the club owner was Greek and there's a lot of Greek mafia in there. So maybe they got some pull that way. Maybe some heroin, you know, I'm thinking <laughs> I do draw a lot of talent heroin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we just want this. They have a good Greek restaurant. We're here for the Saganaki. There you go. <laughs> The grape leaves are fantastic. Not as yeah. good as the heroin. But... Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say what the star of the show is. Is it the heroin or is it the really warm pita that they serve <laughs> with their baba ganoush? 
<laughs> All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Horror Vomit, where we talk about horror movies so you don't have to. My name is Chris Faff, and I am one of your hosts. I am James Moreno, and I'm the other one of your hosts. And we have a very special guest today. Who is you, sir? Oh, hi. I'm Andy. Uh, Andy Sell from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> I don't know why that's what I say. Uh, yeah, I'm Andy. I have a couple podcasts, uh, Cool School and Look Good for the Boys. They're fantastic. Yeah. Uh, thank uh, you. Uh, all right. We're, we're going to be talking about Kill List today. 2011's Kill List, written by Amy Jump and Ben Wheatley, directed by Ben Wheatley, starring Neil Maskell as Jay, Miami Baring as Shell, Michael Smiley as Gal, and Emma Fryer as Fiona, and a very unexpected cameo by President Joseph Robin Hep Biden Jr. as the cult leader. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the, yeah, that guy, uh, He do, it's weird. He does, he looks kind of like if Biden leaned into his Bond villainness, oh, wait, wait, I got it. Is Biden, if he was cosplaying Angus Scrim? <laughs> ah, yes. There you go. There you go. Perfect. Nail on the head. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, what, what's everybody's thoughts on Kill List? What oh. if I was just like, oh, I hate it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I love it. It's it's I, it, it's a it's a it's a frustrating movie uh, because of the ending, mm-hmm. but it's great. I love it. I love I love that it's a big middle finger. I love that Ben. I love Ben Wheatley. I don't know. I haven't seen all of his films. There are a couple. I haven't seen Down Terrace. I haven't seen his most recent two. I think, but I love this. I love In the Earth. I love. I like free fire. I love, um, that's it. (laughs) I like high rise. High rise is good. Yeah. Ben Wheatley's film, Ben Wheatley makes movies that I am very engaged with the entire way through until the very end of them. And then I inevitably just yell, fuck you at the TV at the end of every single one of his films that I've seen. Yeah, I did, there was a very loud fuck you for this movie. I, I had to finish the last of it very recently. And that was that was uttered really loudly in the living room today already. Yeah. I was so mad. Well, I think what, what made me mad was the fact that it was the second scene of the movie that predicted what would happen at the end. Yeah, it was one big callback. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> oh, the, do you mean the, the sword fight? Yeah. Yeah. When he was sword fighting his wife and kid. <laughs> yes. I don't know. There's there's a, there's something I love about that because yeah, it is you you see that and you're like, "Oh, wow. You think I'm stupid." <laughs> but but maybe I am. I don't know. <laughs> I kind of I love it. Um Sightseers and Field in England. I can't believe I forgot both of those. I I oh, do yeah. love both of those films. And Sightseers has one of those endings that's like satisfying oddly mm-hmm. whereas yeah kill list is not a satisfying ending it's not the kind of ending you want to watch especially if you're watching the movie in parts you know like if you watch most of it and then just watch the last 20 minutes the next day yeah that would be that'd be shitty yeah. yes because he has a way of drawing me in throughout this entire film mm-hmm. and in most of his movies to be honest and they keep getting more complex and more weird and he gives you just enough <laughs> to hang on to what you you kind of know what's happening mm-hmm. and then he just pisses in your face in the last 10 minutes of every movie mm-hmm. that yeah. i've seen he's sort of it's i'm not sure if this is a chicken and egg thing but he you know th- he's part of this like group of british filmmakers where it's like him and gareth tunley and peter strickland and uh i mean probably they're not part of this group, but guys like there's gosh, Christopher Smith. Um, there's another UK guy that I'm spacing on right now, but they all kind of seem to be sort of like the UK answers to the indie horror and like mumble gore stuff that was going on in the U S right. in the, in the, like the mid to late uh, aughts, mm. they kind of came up in the UK in like 2009 or so. And then have been doing this like 
it's like similar, but not. I'm not sure because they're doing the same thing where, yeah, it's like they're trying to frustrate the audience in some ways or they're trying to alienate your expectations. And uh, sorry, no, go. <laughs> I, I was reading an interview about this movie with uh, Ben Wheatley and he talked about he, he subscribes to what's called the submersible plot. It's a Kubrick idea where mm. the plot's going to everything should be so inherent that everything follows through should seem natural from it. Yes. Take that one part and everything should emanate from that. That's why he hires the actors that already have the chops that he already needs. He writes for these people. Yeah. And sightseers was written by the actors. Which begs the question. Now are the actors credited as writers for that film? Yeah. For that film they are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's very into, I guess, working with his actors, which is interesting because well, a kill list was shot in like 18 days or something. Really? I believe that. Yeah. So to, to, he must have, I don't know if it was a rehearsal heavy thing or what, but like to shoot that quickly. I mean, it is a small cast mm-hmm. and it's there's not a lot of, you know, aside from the sort of climax, uh, the big set piece towards the end. There's really not a lot of involved stuff to do, uh, you know, production design wise. So, yeah, 18 days sounds about right. But, um, yeah, I, for, I think I got off track here. <laughs> I say, and one of the things that I also really love about Ben Wheatley films is he's just a dude who knows how to make a good movie. His, his just filmmaking instincts are almost second to none because the way that okay so we see essentially in the beginning they have a big fight at the dinner table and then they make up and it goes into this nice soft music and it's showing you know old love reconnecting and new love beginning with michael smiley and fiona Hmm. and then it takes that turn to where she goes in and draws the arrow in the back of the page like man that's just it's such classic filmmaking like oh your sensibilities don't always have to be weird you can just make a good scene mm-hmm. yeah well he the movie opens with Mayanna burring with shell screaming yes at at uh at um jay so it's like immediately you're uh, you're disoriented you're unsettled you you're like thrown into the soup like right away you're thrown into this sturm and drong where it's like oh god i'm already being yelled at like the title just came up and now i'm being yelled at and it's it does a lot to kind of just put you on uh, off your off your uh, off your out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. and and then that yeah, the dinner scene I kind of love the dinner scene because <laughs> it really is just like it's all there everything that this movie is about is in that scene yep it, the domestic strife the fact that what they're talking about they're talking about war they're talking about religion. They're talking about, you know, economic crisis. They're talking about like all of this stuff. And it's all like, yeah, this is all connected. This is kind of what's wrong with everything in one scene. And And yeah, just even the dialogue in it is perfect. And that's what I love about Ben Wheatley's films is because he has that way, because if there's a Ben Wheatley, there's usually an Amy jump in there somewhere. So, I mean, just their writing style is so perfect that it draws you into every scene while it's giving you all this exposition that you didn't know was just being thrown at your face. Yeah. I think Amy jump is, should get a lot more credit than she gets. I think Uh, Uh she's, she's like Deborah Hill or, or Daria Nicolodi where it's like, yeah, Carpenter and Argento get all the accolades, but like this person without her, these, these movies aren't what they are. Exactly, because you can kind of tell a Ben Wheatley movie that wasn't co-written by Amy Jump. You can yeah. really tell <laughs> that, oh, he just got to go nuts with this one. He had yeah. nobody reining him in. <laughs> yeah, there was nobody keeping him grounded. I noticed, though, with the choice of the actors, like earlier, like when we're talking about that dinner scene, that dinner scene made me almost as uncomfortable as some of the violent scenes later because they, they conveyed that feeling so strongly that I was unable to pull out of it. I felt very uncomfortable. And, and a lot of times the movies that we watch do that with, you don't have a sense of place. They do it visually, but mm-hmm. they've already set up that 
in, uh, uncomfortability in an almost like palpable manner. You can just feel it. And I yeah. thought it was absolutely well done, especially, you know, it, it speaks to the director, the writing and the actors, which is why I like Ben Wheatley movies now. I'd never heard yeah. of Ben Wheatley before Field of England, what, what a month ago? Oh man, three or three or four months ago. I have no concept of time. No, there's no more time anymore. It's all just one moment. All everything. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, and that's that's I, I think a big part of that is from what I understand is Amy Jump bringing her childhood, you know, into the into the script, and mm. yeah, especially if you're if you're a kid who grew up in a household that had like marital discordance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be some triggering stuff for you. Like that's going to put you immediately in it. And you, there are times where it's almost like, you know, you watch Jay smashing a dude's head open with a hammer and you're like, Oh, thank God that they aren't screaming at each other at the dinner table anymore. Like, like I think, Oh, it's just, it's just brutal physical violence that I can handle. It's this dude. It's, it's when daddy puts his plate over on the table that I really can't handle it. That's absolutely let's, true. Let's talk about some of the violence in this movie because oh. holy fucking shit. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not one for, I guess, one of the more like, well, I guess you would consider the more extreme movies, especially like your martyrs, your uh, uh, torture-y kind of movies. I, I would put this the violence in this film up against anything that I have seen in some of the more extreme films. Any day of the week. I would say it's in my top three list for hammer violence. Oh, mm. oh well, yeah, because old, old boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then there's that part. Um, What was that about the Cray brothers with what's his butt in it? Um, I forgot what it's called. Oh, legend, <laughs> legend or something. Yeah. Yeah. And in the barn, he just cracks him with the side of the. Yeah. And then this one, I'm like, Ooh, I think I put this one above those two. Yeah, I mean, it depends what kind of hammer you're talking like. There's there's some good, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. They're called Chainsaw. You know, the word Chainsaw is in the title of those movies, but there's just as much hammer violence in those movies as there is Chainsaw violence. And I feel like we need to give the we need to give the hammers more credit. (laughs) Oh, yeah. okay. well, yeah, the hammer, the unsung hero of horror. (laughs) There's a good hammer kill in the first child's play movie. Oh, there is. But it's right. it's not so much violence as much as it is just like he, when he hits her with a hammer and she falls out a window. Uh, the the hammer does a yeah. I mean, well, it's <laughs> I mean the the hammer is not really the one that kills her, not the item that kills her. That's the gravity does that. <laughs> yeah, it's the defenestration. Yeah, yeah, exactly the defenestration. Chucky works smart, not hard. That's right. <laughs> Um, the yeah, the, with the plan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He 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 makes a you know measure measure twice, cut once. There you go. The Bob Vila of murder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Norm, bag this body for me, please. <laughs> anyway. There's there's a lot of really great violence in this movie, and it's the thing is it's startling, and you it's used sparingly, but it's not. It's not this idea of like obscured violence or we're going to hide it. It's like, no, you're going to see this hammer smashing this guy's fucking head open. And then even even uh, Gal's death at the towards the end is like it's obscured. It's in darkness and there's a lot of quick cutting, but you're kind of surprised at what you do get to see in it. Like it is very bloody. And I mean, when they are going to the uh, house that the uh, pedophile tells them about and Gail walks in the basement and he's slamming that dude's head into the wall like 10 times, throws him back. And it's just a decimated skull. Mm -hmm. Jesus fucking Christ, man. Well, and another thing that's interesting about this is that in most of these cases, in the overwhelming majority of the violence depicted in this film is being perpetrated by your protagonist, mm-hmm. which is it, it kind of odd for a horror film. Usually manner too. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your protagonist. Unhinged. Yeah. He's, he's getting worse. Your, your protagonist is kind of your monster here, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, not completely unheard of in horror, but it's, it's not what you're used to with this kind of horror. Mm-hmm. 
And I like a lot of the like new French extremity stuff. I personally do not like Martyrs. I don't think I think Martyrs is one of those movies that thinks it's a lot smarter than it is. Oh, I I, I watched it because I was going to make James watch it. And I was talking to uh, our friend Josh, who does uh, like the uh, extreme immersive horror. I was talking to him. I was oh, like, shit. so this didn't make any goddamn sense, right? And he's like, oh, no, the story's gibberish. It's just absolute yeah. garbage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anytime someone tries to tell me like, no, what you don't understand about martyrs is that it's philosophical and it really transcends. And I'm just like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. This no. is like a fourth grader trying to lecture me about existentialism. It's stupid. I, I checked out the minute I realized that, oh, this guy's job is to put on a nice suit and tie and then go in the basement and punch this woman in the face. All right, I'm done with this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck on, this. The, <laughs> on the other hand, I fucking love Inside. The oh, uh, I haven't watched that yet. That's on my list because I, I saw Candisha and I was like, eh, I, I, I could go for more of what these guys make. And yeah, it just hit Shutter, so I'm real excited. Yeah, to get into yeah. Shutter just got a bunch of new French extremity stuff, <laughs> and and Inside is, with the exception of everything but the last five or ten minutes of High Tension, because uh, I love <laughs> most of that movie up until the the ending. Talk about a fuck you ending. Oh, oh we have. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, God. very angrily. <laughs> yeah. Gotta hate that, but. I think inside is probably uh, with the exception of the rest of high tension is probably my favorite of the new French extremities because, and it's bleak though. It's really like this ending seems upbeat oh, by, com- by comparison to that oh, ending. Man. I got an interesting night ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make sure that you have like, um, I don't know, some comfort food or um, a song that makes you happy that you can listen to <laughs> afterwards. Okay. Just have a video of kittens queued up for when it's done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe not comfort food. You're probably not going to be in the mood to eat. <laughs> Fair enough. Mm. It is a, it is yeah. a rough movie violence wise. Sounds right up your alley. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that sounds like that sounds like some me shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The the violence in this movie is very interesting and, and unique in a lot of ways, and I like how it, it it pulls back on some of it, but then kind of like puts the pedal to the metal in other parts, mm-hmm. but just enough, just enough for it to do its job to startle you or you know. Th- scare you shock you and then it moves it moves on it's not interested in the like okay well now we're gonna watch this guy you know get tortured for 20 minutes straight it's just like yep uh fuck his hand up fuck his knee up up there goes his head and we're moving on Mm -hmm. so does anybody have any idea what this movie is trying to say culture scary Uh, because uh there's it's kind of hard for me to pull a very clear message out of this one because usually I can put something together, but by the end of this, I just kind of, yeah, yell, fuck you and go. Duh, 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 yeah. Duh. There, there are moments where you watch it and you're like, God, I wish this wasn't his second feature. Like I wish he'd done this as his fourth feature so that he would, you know, maybe shoot more than 18 days and give us a little bit more. Cause like certain elements, like the body horror stuff, isn't really fleshed out very well. Um, it's just kind of like, no pun intended. He he gets, you know, his rash, the wounds infected. He gets his rash. He goes to the doctor. He has that like Rosemary's baby yes. moment with yeah. the doctor. That lends itself to my theory that Fiona's an actual witch for this cult. Like, because she stole the blood. She did this. So yeah. now anytime he strays from the path of what he's supposed to be doing, his infection gets worse. And, and, and also think about what the doctor asked him. Uh, how is, are you still able to make love? You know, it's like, he's trying to figure out if he can still produce for the cult. It seemed like a yeah. plant. So that's how my brain was trying. I try to make sense of even the most ridiculous shit so that I can enjoy the movie more. So yeah. my head is the cult, cult witch thing was the only through line that actually made any sense to me at all. Yeah, well, even there, there's a lot of stuff on the periphery that's like, what is the what what are the rules here? Like, what does it mean? And Wheatley himself, right, has said that he doesn't that there's a lot of different interpretations available of this film. Um, I guess originally there was a a, a cult, a war within the cult. Mm -hmm. Like there was a faction in the cult that was trying to oust the leadership of the cult. 
which and would make, make it the their own make sense. Yeah. And, and that's maybe where the murders come in, but then why is everyone thanking him for killing yeah. them? Like it's, it's like, is it part of a prophecy or is it part of some, uh, you know, uh, mutiny? I, I'm not sure, but the doctor stuff. Yeah. It's, I, I'm going to start calling this movie Rosemary's Hitman. Yeah, I like that. Because that's totally what's going on with this guy. He's being, uh, you know, manipulated and and pushed and prodded by this cult. And I love Fiona. Fiona's mm. Fiona's such a disturbing character. And she plays the hell out of that, too. Oh, yeah. She's so <laughs> subtle. Yeah. Yeah. She's so like, you can tell she's unhinged, but it's a quiet type of unhinged. And she feels like a threat, even when she's not on the screen. Like when, when he gets that call, when he's talking to shell on the phone and she's like, oh yeah, Fiona came by. You're immediately, you're like, I don't like this. I don't like yeah, that. She's why? There. somehow exudes menace without looking menacing. Yeah. She just, you're, you're, you're just uncomfortable around her. I think part of that is just how she's introduced at the dinner when she says that she's in HR. Yeah. And yeah. So, you know, right off the bat, like there's this context that everyone's familiar with that like, oh, shit, she is she's not good because she's doing this work. Yeah, because like HR is known for having just a basic lack of empathy. And mm. she sells that with her eyes very well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and it's it's also one of those things that like is much more rewarding on a second watch. You know, this this yeah. movie, you watch it once and it is you do kind of you forget little things like that. So when the ending happens, you're like, I feel bad and I'm angry and I don't even know what it means. But then you watch the film again and you're like, you pick up on the oh HR. That's cute because it's also true. Like. Uh, it's just fun. I don't know. It's fun in a not fun way. And I think they have the kind of writing in this too, that, uh, makes me forgive things that I wouldn't forgive in other films. Like they don't tell us anything about the Kiev job. Mm. We know nothing about that except for that something got fucked up. Yeah. I like that. The explanation for it is just kind of fuck you. You don't need to know. You just need to know something went bad and that this group of people know about it. Yeah, that's the important thing to Wheatley. Like he doesn't, uh, he's averse to exposition and, and that's, you know, that's clear. He likes to obscure deep narrative details and backstory and things and kind of give it to you on the actors' faces, you know, just trust the actors to convey like something went wrong. We know that much from the dialogue and we know that what went wrong is a problem because we can see that in the, the actor's performance. And then the rest of it's just filmmaking. And I, I really love that and respect that. I, I think that's a rare quality in a filmmaker these days where the impulse is to over explain or to try to put everything you're trying to say into a movie Wheatley and probably because of Amy jump and because of the actors he works with and because of his production team and his editor, I want to point that out too. This film is so expertly edited. Yes. And Wheatley in general, I'm not sure if it's the same editor on every film, but it feels like it because it just, it's such a, this movie is so well edited and and it's even the quick editing in free fire. Like it's as many quick cuts as there are. There are a lot of long drawn out shots as well to where it, it gives you a sense of frenetic pace and then lets you rest, which is what I think is very good about free fire. See, and I'm just learning about, you know, why I like and dislike certain things. And I only notice editing when it's bad. It's like, yeah, well, that's the thing is that a lot of times you only notice a certain component when it's not working. Right. And so it's very easy to take certain, especially editing. I think editing score, sound design, and even honestly, even, even cinematography uh, and, and script are all things that can be taken for granted. And you really, they might only stand out if they're being done, you know, sublimely well, right. or if they're, or if they're being fucked up. And a lot of times it's easy to watch a film kind of passively and just be like, oh, this is I like it. Mm. Um, but this film, yeah, the editing, I'm a real big fan of it. The script works. The this way it's shot too. Well, it's shot the sound design too. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, the sound 
Ooh, the sound design in this movie film is incredible. Especially near the end when they had the humans making the animal noises. Mm-hmm. Just oh. that eerie, high pitch, just always there and changing. You could tell they were done by human voices. And again, we talk about discomfort and unsettled. That, that added to it. And then the music, that little bit of music, it's not overt. You don't really notice it's happening until you, oh, wait, there's music. Yeah. And it's so me- perfect for that moment. Yeah, the music is just like everything else in this movie where it's like it's try it's disorienting, it's stressful, it's discordant and atonal a lot of times. And it's like it's ambient. It's just like a noise. Yeah. And then there'll be like whistling on top of it. Yes. And you're like, okay, that's haunting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it it is like a total immersion thing going on with a lot of the it's a lot of the film components. It, yeah. it feels natural, even though all these sounds that you mentioned are completely unnatural with the extra whistles and all that. It fit again, it fits so perfectly that it 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 it's organic. It's like it's supposed to be there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh I love it. I like the way it was shot too. It's it's kind of it's a lot of handheld because Wheatley, you know, again, he's shooting on a lower budget, on a tighter schedule, without as many resources. So it's going to be kind of like, you know, run and gun. And there's a lot of uh, handheld shots and he's not afraid to jump cut. I love that too, is that he's not afraid to jump cut within one shot uh, within, within a single take. And it's all kind of like pushes towards this disorienting feel, even the way it was lit. You know, I can, I'm not sure if it was all natural lighting, but it does look a lot of it looks kind of washed out. And almost sickly, you know, there's like almost a, fl- it like enhances like, or um, underlines a fluorescent lighting quality, how you'd feel like in an yeah. office building. It, it makes you kind of sick. That shot of uh, Fiona just standing under a street lamp when she's outside his <laughs> hotel waving to him. Yeah. The, yeah. It's not like lit from underneath. So you see her face real well, like a film. It's shot just her standing under this street light looking spooky as fuck. Yeah. yeah. At that moment, it it works. I couldn't tell if he was hallucinating or actually saw her. And when I figured out he actually saw her, that fucked me up even worse. I'm like, oh, no, yeah. no, 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 no. She shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's those little moments like it's a lot of it's the handheld almost documentary style or, or television style, I guess, as it were, of, of filming. But then you get those little shots of like, it's, it's almost like a tableau, like a painting of, of Fiona, like kind of in the bottom left corner with this like sea of night around her. Oh, and then sick. or when they when they pull up to the hotel and they get out of the car and there's that rainbow over the top <laughs> yeah. of the fucking car in the distance. And you're like, well, that's not nice <laughs> i wonder if that was accidental or they put that in in post or what it, i from what i understand it was they had they had written in uh this is and this is an imdb fact so who knows this is maybe called from a uh, you know a commentary track or something but uh supposedly there was a rainbow written into the script at another point but then wow. they just had that when they shot that that shot there was just a rainbow there. So they were like, okay, well, there's our rainbow. We're going to take it out of the other scene and it's right here. So I, I would also like to uh, issue this film as a warning to any dickhead who thinks it's all right to bring a guitar <laughs> to, to a restaurant. Here's the thing. If they want that scene to sell us that Jay is like turning to this darkness, they need to do different because no one watches this movie and thinks he's out of line. No, <laughs> you watch this movie and you're like, you're doing every everything I've ever wanted to do. If somebody is playing guitar, especially a religious song in a restaurant. Yeah, no, that's that's what you should do. <laughs> I totally thought he was going to Animal House it, too. I thought he was going to Butarski and just bam. Just yeah, they're, the they're lucky he didn't smash that that guitar to pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that would have made it funny because then all I could have thought of was <laughs> Animal House. So I'm sure they probably did that. <laughs> but it has that scene, as funny as it is, has one of my favorite lines where he tells the guy, if you're the kind of people God associates with, tell him to stay out of my way. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love Fucking it. Love it. <laughs> I do love it. Um, and I like that's another thing is in sightseers. I don't know if this is like a, a Wheatley signature or not. Sightseers has an uncomfortable restaurant scene as well, where uh, with, we're like two, one table is talking to another table about their behavior. Ooh. And um, 
and the payoff in that movie for that scene is is wow it's great but i'm trying to think i can't rem- i can't recall if there's another wheatley movie with that scene in it or not you know but so just, yeah man ben wheatley's so good at making movies but every single one of his films is so goddamn unsatisfying <laughs> <laughs> yeah well because that's life right like life is unsatisfying if you focus on the human drama uh, it's always going to, and especially if you focus on the human drama in a way that's truthful, there's always going to be an element of like emptiness to it or an element of like, well, that's all there is to it, you know? Yeah, but I can get and, that for free day to day. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's the argument, right? Is like, that's the real world. I don't need that in my movies too, Ben. Yeah, so, on. all right. I, I guess, I guess I want to talk about why this movie's um, the ending of this film is unsatisfying. So at the end, he retreats back to this cabin that his wife and child have brought off to. And he knows that this cult is after them. So he goes out shooting and Shell, his wife, caps a couple of these dudes as well. I love that. I love her stand, her little straw dog standoff it's in the house, in, in the cottage. It's so great. You're like, I could watch another 40 minutes of just her fucking knocking dudes back with her pistol. Well, I fully expected a scene because we're talking about the restaurant scene where he said, you know, I would I would separately beat you all to death with my bare hands. I forgot the exact quote, but he was talking about killing all of them. Yes. I thought it was going to come back. I thought they were going to be like when the cultists, when they saw the cultists with the torches before they shot him, I was expecting to see a close up of one of those people from the restaurant. Oh, so that he would beat one of them to death with his bare hands because (laughs) he was already pre-done. And I thought they were putting that in to have a nice little, you know, nice little callback later in the film. They did not. No. Yeah. It hard cuts to the title to a uh, title card that says the hunchback, which, okay, title cards in movies. How does everybody feel about it? Because I love them. I fucking love title cards. <laughs> I go so, back and forth. I go back and forth. I think sometimes I love them and sometimes like in the Suspiria remake, I'm like, we don't need this. Stop this. Um, we didn't need a Suspiria remake at no, all. No, we oh. sure didn't. And we sure didn't need the entire last like half hour of the Suspiria remake to be a prologue of Tilda Swinton in drag making a Holocaust joke, essentially like yep. it, it, it. Fuck that movie. You made um, a two and a half hour Suspiria that no one asked for. Good job. Yeah. Fuck that bullshit. I'm sorry. Um, no, what were we I, talking I, about I, title cards? I, I hated it with all of my soul. <laughs> I like the title cards in this movie because it's it's literally what the movie is titled, The Kill List. And it's just the list. It's the priest, the librarian, the MP, and then the hunchback. And so I think that that's I good. I this movie again in pieces. Was there ever a time where we actually saw the list written? No. No. I don't believe no. so. Because oh, that would have made the title cards cooler for me. But So yeah. anyway, he has to knife fight the hunchback, mm-hmm. which turns up turns out is his wife and child strapped to his wife's back mirroring the shot from earlier now my big problem is had they just left her there to die fine but she laughs Mm -hmm. she laughs with satisfaction after having killed previously killed at least three cult members get the fuck out of my face (laughs) yeah i don't know i don't know what the laugh is because I guess Amy Jump and uh, Ben Wheatley have both said that the interpretation that she's part of the cult or that she's in on the cult is untrue, is like a false, like anybody saying that that's not what they intended. But then why is it like she's, does she remember the sword fight they had? And that's why she's laughing. Is she like, ah, it's just like when we fought in the garden with fake swords. Uh, oh i'm finally free from this life with this man that i don't really like but that's still no reason to laugh maniacally after your child has just been stabbed yeah happened after the incident in kiev (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't know the way i read it is just that she's broken at that point and that and that she has nothing left and so she might as well laugh uh it's a weird it's still a weird choice uh, in one way, I like it and respect it because it is adding to the disorienting whole of this and film. Red herring. 
Yeah. Where it, it's like, well, this isn't how I would expect her to behave right now, which is odd, which makes it weirder, which maybe makes it scarier or more unsettling. But yeah, it, there's a part of it that feels like a bad impulse to me. And then they crown him king of the uh, king of the cult. Yeah. K- king of the wicker people. I was going to say wicker man. Yeah. 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 They're definitely it's like a reverse wicker man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Just, I just I. I Am I too stupid? Do I not get it? No, what the I don't, fuck? I don't get it either. I don't get it either. I don't think anyone gets it. Uh, I think that's kind of the point of it is to not get it, which is, again, frustrating. And it's, again, it's it's not that it's frustrating. It's that it's obtuse. And it it's the opposite of making sense to, to make <laughs> a point of it. And it really bothers me. It's like, no, no. <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry, it's, yeah. it's, I get so mad at the end of every Ben Wheatley movie that I, I think why it ultimately works for me is because it. I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong when you say that it's it's obtuse or that because it is. Here's the problem: it's it's banking on making a point, as you said, at the expense of making any sense, and normally. If that isn't the whole point of a work, like, okay, I don't bring that type of critique to a David Lynch movie, for example. Like, if I'm watching a David Lynch work, I know, like, this isn't going to make sense, and that's fine. This isn't that, though. And so there is, like, you, you feel cheated to a degree, because it's not just a bleak ending. It's not just a downer ending. It's a downer ending that's impenetrable and inaccessible. And you don't know what it means, which there are two reasons it doesn't. There are two reasons that I can watch this movie without being completely turned off by that ending. One, I guess three reasons. (laughs) One is just the rest of it works so fucking well. And it's so engrossing. Yeah. And two is the, the fact that cosmic horror, there's like a Lovecraftian cosmic horror feeling to this movie. And in that way, it's doing what cosmic horror is supposed to do, which is man doesn't understand shit. Like these these horrors from beyond the veil that are coming for us, we an ant cannot understand them. An ant cannot understand the spray that's killing it. You know, like that's yeah. that's cosmic horror. And then, but I think the main reason that I'm that I res- that it resonates with me to a degree is because it sort of points to the futility. And this is, I think, the point that it's trying to make. Uh, is that it points to the futility of interpersonal violence as any kind of resolving agent. Like every time that Jay and Gal fight and they get into a few scraps, yes, they look like children fighting. They look silly. They look like they're like little boys throwing a temper tantrum. Yes. Uh, it looks so small and so undignified when they're fighting but like you know if you've ever been in a fight that like when you're in it it's the whole fucking world it feels so enormous and so immediate and so urgent and so important there's nothing else there is just me hitting this guy and that's where they're at but when you when you remove from a distance it's like if you've ever watched two drunks roll around on a kitchen floor fighting it's fucking stupid and the ending of this is that but with his wife and son, like it's like it's taking that that smallness, that inconsequential bullshit schoolyard scrap and making it like, well, now your wife and kid are dead because all you know is violence. All you know is how to fight. And they knew this about you and they turned you they turned it against you. And every other fight in this film is resolved relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Every yeah. fight with shell that anything over money it's resolved they go back to their daily life any fight with gal it ends quickly they drink a beer and they fucking get over it there's no resolution to the end of this fight yeah it's yeah. just well i guess this is done now yeah and leaving the film with his just very confused face again i understand what they're trying to do but it's again it's so unsatisfying as a form of entertainment yeah (laughs) yeah yeah well also just in a storytelling from a storytelling perspective it's like okay but what was the threat 
Like, what was the monster? What was the, you know, what happens now? Yeah, and you, Because all I could think of throughout this whole thing is they kept remembering, you know, this is his ascension. This is his re is reimagining you know he's burning away. his restructuring i think yeah. is what they call it right yeah the so he's burning away his past and it's funny that they use restructuring now that we think about um her as or what's her butt as the hr woman yes yeah it pulls back in but yeah that's pretty cool but i'm sorry i lost my point damn it no well, i like i like that you brought up the fire too because he has that whole thing about when i was a kid i used to love watching a fire yeah i love that line that's another thing he gives it so many, like you get to know these characters really well. Just because it's that ground level human drama shit that Ben Wheatley's giving you with like this unknowable world beyond it. And the choice of actors, again, the, everything yeah. was 100%. Uh, they, they fucking yeah. killed it. Yeah, yeah, they're all incredible. Michael Smiley is just the best. <laughs> I love that, man. Oh, yeah. It's so funny because I know so many guys exactly like Gal, you know, uh -huh. like, you know, but they're not hitmen. They're like, they're like ex rock musicians or metal guitarists or yeah. like, or yeah, or, or plumbers or poets or whatever. Like, you know, guys like him, but yeah, he man. also happens to be a hitman. <laughs> Yeah, it's like uh, when James and I were talking before this, this movie's kind of just like a spooky Pulp Fiction. <laughs> it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just two hitmen hanging out, doing some shit. Yeah, but, about uh, but one of them's got a poltergeist in his blood or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also, what always bugs me is when when someone has to get blood for a ritual, Mm -hmm. in a movie they always cut across the palm and it's like i would never do that i would just just the finger prick your finger or your shoulder or part of your thigh like or your your ass even just like a part that's got some like cushion so that it's not gonna hurt too much i mean you're doing stuff with your hand you have to grip things you can't do that if a wound is healing across your palm get one of those diabetes arrests just okay we're done yeah yeah here's your blood we're good Why'd yeah, you cut but, my fucking whole hand, asshole? He acted like nothing happened. He's like, dude, it's kind of sucked. Because then you get to make the joke where he asks, is that your wanking hand? <laughs> is that hand? your wanking hand? Yeah, yeah. God, right, he's so, so great. Here's the big one that I want to talk about. And there's no way that they could have predicted this in 2011. No one who has any inkling into any sort of QAnon conspiracy theories should ever be shown this movie whatsoever <laughs> yeah because immediately yeah. i just went oh no a whole bunch yeah. of rabbit holes got real <laughs> deep well but there's no adrenochrome and there's no like i mean there's snuff films but there's no child pornography right as far as i know that's talked about in it. Oh, I, I took that as what they found in that weird. But that was what they found in the lockup. I just thought it was like a snuff film. I couldn't I couldn't really. Although, yeah, they were so angry about it mm -hmm. that it had to have been. Yeah. And especially um, the Irish guy's reaction to it. He's like, I'm not going to tell you about it, but it's <laughs> yeah. really bothering me. Yeah. You don't want to see this. Yeah. Yeah. If an Irish guy is bothered by it, it's it means something. Well, I'm just saying a whole Catholic thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Rampant at the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's still like the from what I understand, the church is still really powerful in the education system in Ireland, mm -hmm. which is not fucking cool. Nope. <laughs> Anywhere. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of. It's a lot. Of, there's a lot of that. I think I think that you're going to run up against that if you do, if you use the subject of cults mm -hmm. at all, there's going to be parallels to shit that's like conspiracy theory related because that is that is kind of what makes it scary is this idea of like how easily yeah you can this, a person can be drawn into it there's a strange hierarchy which we're never explained we never understand we don't know who they are what their mission is we don't know why these people are being killed we don't know if it's corporate religious anything i mean it could have been a priest standing in the way of a development deal or something, some stupid eighties action movie plot, who knows? But like, that's part of, again, what lends to the tension is never really knowing, never knowing why any of this is happening. And that's exactly yeah. because I saw that from the completely different direction. I was horrified thinking about the, the, 
if we think about the the people that got killed were thankful for being killed. It made me think that they were part of the cult. So if you think uh, like a MP, like mm-hmm. a big high muckety muck in the government, yeah. uh, a priest, everybody who was in, and in my head before you told me that uh, absolutely that his wife wasn't, I thought, wow, Swedish service member, maybe that was her handler and then she has ties to the cult. So everything yeah. that touches the cult has a larger social thing. So in my head, it, their tendrils went out way further than we think because everybody they're touching has a position of power. Yeah. And that's the stuff that kind of like sticks in your, you know, your interpretation a little bit if you think about it, because, yeah, the stuff with her wife, it's like, well, why was Fiona going over there all the time if Shell's not being recruited or being right. turned in some way? Uh, and if she was being recruited or turned in some way, then why is she killing these cult members as they're running into the house? And why are all of these people, if, if, it's, a, if it's a cult going at, to war with another part of the cult, why are the ones that are being killed thankful for it? If it's not part of a ritual, why, like, why does the MP in the middle of a sacrifice be like, yeah, shoot me. I don't care. Like yeah, it, well, that's because and, it was part of his, uh, what was that? The, the regrouping or the refocusing to have to uh, unleash that kind of killing. And then why yeah. specifically Jay and Gail? Because they know they say some of how long have we been working for you? Yeah. We so there's this no idea. There's this idea that maybe they were, they hired them for Kiev as like, possibly a test to be like, oh, okay, well, Kiev went exactly how we wanted it to go, not at all how they wanted it to go, which means these are the guys for us. But then why kill Gal? Again, like I, that's another part that kind of confuses me is when, you know, this cult leader is thankful for being executed, but then the rest of the cult, like the MP is thankful for being executed, but then the rest of the cult that's with him there attack them. And it's like, why are they attacking? It's also confusing. You never feel certain of anything in it. And I think that's both a blessing and a curse yeah, when, when it comes to like, like thinking about it. The only person they attacked was, was Gal, right? The only person they killed. Yeah. So it was them killing him, not, uh, not our main character. Yeah. There is like, it's almost like, were they killing Gal just so that Jay would be vulnerable okay. when they come to take him? Yes. And yeah, I thought it was all a setup to strip away his humanity, strip away his humanity. Yeah, well, that's true because monster or whatever they want him to be. Gal is his best friend, and if you take that away, it's like, well, what does he have left for human connection? His wife and kid, and that's well, we're going to deal with them in a minute anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, this goddamn movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like there's stuff that's frustrating about it for sure. But I think as a whole, it just works so well. And the filmmaking just wins, wins out for me. It's just so well made. It's so tight. There's no fat on it. You no, know, there's, no, there's not a wasted moment in this film. And yeah. at no uh, time did I ever think about the budget. Because sometimes you see a cheaper made movie. Yep. And you could see the seams and the zippers on the monster and everything. This yeah. one, it, you didn't see the fact that it was made cheaper. It felt like a real movie. I mean, yeah. I don't know how to say that. I don't mm-hmm. know how to say that right, but <laughs> no, it always. Yeah, anytime you're talking about, it, I struggle with it too. I yeah. talk about a low budget movies a lot and like regional films a lot, mm-hmm. and I always like come away from it feeling like, well, was I being insulting when I said that you have to judge this differently than you would a real movie? <laughs> like yeah. It always, it always feels like I'm being a little patronizing, but. But this yeah. felt like a real movie. Yeah, and it's like yeah. when you and I talked about uh, a field in England, when at some point when you're staring at this movie, you just realize like, oh, look at these <laughs> couple chuckle fucks just out in, out in a field, just playing wizards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you zoom out a little bit and you, yeah, they you apply the real world to it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Wheatley is good at putting you in it and, and also providing the distance he wants to provide from the subject so that you, He's, he's just so good at it. But I also, I think that's his crew. I think it's his actors. I think it's Amy Jump. I think it's, you know, his DP and his editor. I don't believe in auteur theory. I think it's bullshit. I think that the movies that we love, that we credit to singular filmmakers are often like more because of the unsung production team than they are because of one director. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ridley Scott, <coughs> alien. Um <laughs> 
Uh, That's I think, fair. We, I think, yeah, I mean, that movie without literally everybody else <laughs> involved yeah. in that movie, it's not the movie it is. Like without Dan O'Bannon's script, without Giger, without Goldsmith, without like it's it's bec- it's the way it's as good as it is because of the team that worked on it and not just Ridley Scott. And I feel that way about most of the films that we often credit to a singular filmmaker. Um, I forgot what my point was, but I like Kill List. Yes. Well, I enjoyed the point. (laughs) (laughs) And with that... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let me stab this hunchback. Yeah. (laughs) Andy murdered a child. Uh-oh. <laughs> but uh all right. Yeah, anybody any final thoughts on Kill List? I got nothing else to say. Watch it. It's good. I'm actually I I don't do this often, but I'm going to rewatch this tonight because I enjoyed it so much that I want to actually watch it end to end instead of yeah. my ADHD 15 minutes at a time. Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> I'm glad you brought up ADHD. That reminds me of another thing I wanted to say about this movie. I think Jay's problem is that he's just got undiagnosed, untreated ADHD. Like he's, he's, he's bad with money. He's restless. He forgets things that he's supposed to do. His priorities are a little out of whack. He's distracted. Often he has poor impulse control, all things I can relate to. Yeah. Um, just Just the fact when he's in the garage, right. And you see all of these like exercise equipment things and shit that he's bought that he clearly yeah. never uses. It's like, oh, yep, I know how that goes. Yeah. That was the only time in the whole movie where I felt like they built a set. Like the they, garage? Yeah, the garage. It looks like, hey, can somebody place garage shit in here for us? <laughs> yeah. It almost looked like a real garage, but it didn't. Well, yeah, because uh, it had... I mean, until you until you see the uh, the assault rifle in there, and then it's like, well, everybody's got that in their garage. You know, considering where we're living, I I wouldn't doubt it. Not even in the slightest. Man, I should get a a, a good old garage assault rifle. That yeah. might come that, in handy. Yeah, <laughs> everybody needs a garage water. gun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone needs a garage gun. Well, right. If you don't have your car gun and you're walking around gun, you have to have a garage gun. That's true. Because also, what if you get out of your car in your garage, but you forget to get your car gun? Also, you don't want to take the car gun out of the car. That's why it's the car gun. Right. You know, what if somebody attacks you on your walk from the car where your car gun is into your house where your house gun is? What if someone attacks you then? You got nothing. You need a garage gun. Right. And, and God forbid you should use your car gun in the garage. That's just that's just bad. Well, that's that's just wrong. That's just that's just unchristian. <laughs> Have some goddamn decorum. (laughs) All right. Andy, what have you got to plug, my friend? Uh, Gosh, lots of stuff. I I do recommend watching this movie again, rewatching it. This is about my third or fourth time seeing it. And every time I watch it, I'm like, I find something new to like in it. Um, Yeah, you can listen to you can find me on Twitter at Andy underscore cell S-E-L-L. Um, do it before I get fed up and delete Twitter. Um, you can listen to look good for the boys, uh, a horror gossip podcast that I co-host with my friend, Philip and ghoul school, a horror history podcast on the unpops network. There are more episodes on the way. Fantastic. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, as a primer, I sent James the uh, Ghoul School episode with S.A. Bradley, and I oh nice. I, I would recommend anybody who is interested just in horror as a topic go listen to that because that that is a very smart man. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. S.A. Bradley is great. Read his book too. I'll plug his book. Why not? Screaming for Pleasure by S.A. Bradley is a good read. Sweet, sweet. Um, yeah, it, it, we do this. That's yeah. about it. We got the Facebook thing. <laughs> yep. Sure. And, uh, don't We have an email, I believe. Yep, we sure do. And uh, Twitter? Uh, nope. Nope, we don't have Twitter. <laughs> nope. I don't I'm do just, any I'm of that shit. making shit up. <laughs> yeah. um, an aging calendar. Yeah, I, I'm just giving that shit away. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> but, um, no, uh, every Saturday night we watch movies on our Discord. Uh, uh, 9 o'clock, I'll post the link, and 10 o'clock Eastern, Movie starts. We've done uh, Texas Chainsaw, Black Coat's Daughter, 
Well, we did the thing last night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just just watching movies. Do you know what you're doing for the next one? Not a goddamn clue. I'll figure okay. something out. <laughs> All right. Uh, like ghoulies or something stupid. <laughs> I was thinking about doing Buckaroo Banzai because, you know, who can love that? Movie. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yeah. I need to rewatch that. Yeah. Who doesn't like piping some hot Peter Weller into their face? <laughs> I could make some comments. Uh, I, eh, whatever. <laughs> it's Peter Weller. He's he is a professor. <laughs> yeah, look. He's Robocop. I fuck Robocop. <laughs> Indeed. <What? laughs> anyway, um let's let's go. Uh, yeah. bye, bye everybody. <laughs> bye. Thank you. Good lord. God, that was fun. <laughs>